This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining me. Heat is on the mind of many Americans because this has been one of the hottest summers in recent years. And of course, we are all concerned about the change in climate that may be producing plenty of hot weather in the years to come. Now the question is, we've heard all kinds of bad effects of heat on tides in the ocean and uh, what impact that's going to have when uh, you get a hurricane, but how about student learning? Is the potential for hotter school days going to mean kids who don't learn as much? Well, I have with me today Joshua Goodman, an associate professor here at the Harvard Kennedy School, who's actually investigated the relationship between heat and learning and taken a pretty careful look at it. So I'm just delighted to have uh, you with me today, Josh. Thanks for having me, Paul. So, um, Joshua, um, tell me this. Um, how in the heck did you measure the connection between heat and learning? Of course, we know that uh, kids in colder climates tend to perform higher than children in hotter climates, but we assume that's just related to economic development and things like that, not to the actual heat. So how did you get around that problem and actually look at specific effects of heat on learning? That's a great question. So you're absolutely right that kids in hotter climates seem to um, learn less than kids in colder climates. But you're also right that lots of things vary between, for example, the south and the north in the U.S. And so we wanted to really pinpoint the effects of just heat and not all of these other things. So what we did was we took data on all the students in the United States in about the last 15 years who had taken the PSAT exam. Oh, you got to tell me what the PSAT is. Right. So the PSAT is a standardized test administered by the college board in math and, and reading skills. I remember. That's my, the practice test. So, so before I took my SAT many hot years ago, there was a test that I took as a practice test or preliminary test, right? That's right. Exactly right. Most students take it in uh, October of 10th grade or maybe 11th grade, and it gives them good practice for taking the SAT that then may matter for college admissions. And, uh, but it turns out because um, students take the PSAT uh, in 10th grade and then often again in 11th grade as additional practice, we have uh, 10 million students or so for whom we observe two different test scores at two different points in time a year apart. 10 million kids took the PSAT twice. Now that's a fact that we need to, we need to, we need to let, let the world know that fact. That's an astounding fact. It, it, it's, it's one of the wonderful things, this, uh, this research partnership with the College Board is, is wonderful in part because they have extraordinary data and they're willing to share it for research purposes that, that are um, uh, quite various, and, and this is one of them. Well, over what period of time did these 10 million students take so uh, the So they test took twice? their, yeah, we, we see them taking the test. We're looking at high schoolers, uh, I think, who are graduating from about 2004 through about 2015. So uh, over, over a decade's worth of high school students. And as I said, about 10 million of them who took it once in October of 10th grade, once in October of 11th grade, so that we can see how their scores compare in two different years. And we can then see whether their score is uh, unusually higher or lower following the year that was particularly hot. 
So there was a, a school year leading up to that first exam take, and then there was another school year leading up to that second exam take. One of those two years was generally hotter than the other one, and we can see whether there's any connection between the heat that a student experienced in the year leading up to the exam and their score on the exam. Well, so generally speaking, people will do better on an exam the second time they take it rather than the first time they take it. So how do you deal with that That's conundrum? Right. So yeah. we control for the fact that the average student gains uh, a certain amount from take one to take two. And once we subtract that out from our data, we then ask whether there remains any correlation between the temperatures a student experienced okay. and the so remaining you, score. You adjust for whether or not it was time one or time two. Exactly. We control yep. for that. That's yep. right. Yep. That's and right. I guess you can assume that the kid is essentially the same person at these two different points in time. There That's right. some question about that, I suppose. That's but. right. So we're, we're operating under the assumption that whether year one was the hot year or year two was the hot year, is a somewhat random fact. For some kids, it, the hot year comes first. For some kids, it comes second. And, and we're sort of depending on the notion that, that exactly which of those years was hotter is a fairly random thing and not related to other changes going on in a kid's life. Now, you, you have this from, for students across the entire United States, I assume. That's right. We have PSAT takers all over the country. And, but you're not looking beyond the United States. No, that's true. We don't have data beyond the United States. Uh, although in some follow-up work, we're actually hoping to do some work perhaps with the, the PISA data sets that have internationally uh, comparable standardized exams. And we might be able to do a, a version of this project that, that looks across countries. But for now, we're just thinking about within the United States. All right, so uh, what did you find? So we found that students' test scores tend to be lower in the uh, following a particularly hot school year. And so in particular, I mean that we're looking at temperatures on school days that the student experienced, and we find that um, a one degree Fahrenheit hotter school year on average reduces test scores by a little bit less than 1% of a typical year's worth of learning. And, uh, and that effect is larger for low-income students and for uh, black and Hispanic students. And it's also noticeably larger in schools that appear not to have air conditioning. Okay, so now that sounds like a trivial effect. Isn't this an awful lot of work just to come up with a, what do you say, 1% on average? A one degree hotter one, school year reduces learning by about 1%. Now, can you convince me that that's more than just a trivial effect? Yeah, so the way that I, I guess I would convince you one way is that um, we've, we've done a calculation to ask, um, we noticed the following fact. First of all, the impact on, um, uh, as I said, uh, black and Hispanic students is larger than it is on white students. And it turns out um, black and Hispanic students tend to live in somewhat hotter parts of the country. And so we did a calculation to ask, given that black and Hispanic students seem to suffer more from heat, perhaps because their schools are less well air conditioned, and they live in hotter parts of the country, what fraction of the racial achievement gap in this country might be due to differences in temperature environments? And we came up with something around 5% of the racial achievement gap, which to us is large enough to care about, but not so large that you would say implausibly that all of the racial achievement gap is due to heat, which would be a, a crazy statement. So, you know, that's what we're thinking of as the magnitude of this, is that if, if black, Hispanic, and white students all had the same access to school air conditioning and lived in the same kind of climates, 
uh, it would reduce the racial achievement gap by about 5%, which we think is large enough to be interesting. Now, how do you measure heat? I mean, that, that's the other part of this story that we haven't explored. Do you, do you have good data on how hot it is? Yeah, so we use weather sensors that the federal government has scattered across the country. Uh, there are uh, at least a few thousand in the data that we have, and we match each high school to the closest weather sensor. So we don't have measures of exactly what the temperature in a classroom is, but we know what the temperature outside nearby is. And in general, these weather sensors are something like five miles away from the school, so we think they're doing a pretty good job of measuring the temperature. And we use the, the maximum temperature they, they read in a day because that usually happens around noon, and that's, of course, just the middle of the school day that students are experiencing. So, so how do you define a hot day? That's a great question. So um, we don't take a strong stand on what a hot day is. We actually show in the paper that anything up to 70 degrees seems not to affect learning terribly much. And then above 70 degrees, you start to see increasingly bad effects of heat. So a 75 degree day does a little bit of damage. An 80 degree day does more. A 90 degree day does even more than that. And so above 70 degrees, you start to have sort of a linear effect that gets worse. So extreme heat, like 90 or 100 degrees, is substantially more damaging than 75 or 80 degrees. And, 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 but you don't find this where there's air conditioning. So tell me about, that's what everybody's going to be interested in, is can we get rid of this if we have air conditioning? That's right. So, so we were fascinated by two things. One is there's very little research on the impacts of school infrastructure on student learning. It's hard to do that work. And two, it's very hard. part of the reason is it's almost impossible to get data on whether schools have air conditioning or, or you know, how good their air conditioning is. And so what we actually did is we surveyed students. Uh, we sent online, through an online survey that the College Board runs, we actually asked SAT and PSAT takers, on hot days, do classrooms in your school get too hot to learn? And we used their answers to construct measures for each high school of uh, the extent to which students seem to report that their high school environment, their physical environments in their classrooms are comfortable. And we took that as a sign that this, the building was probably well air conditioned. Uh, and, and so we found this really interesting pattern, which is um, all, almost all of the effects of heat that we're seeing actually come from the northern parts of the US, the cooler parts of the country. And the explanation is that the southern US, where it's extremely hot, Almost all the schools there have air conditioning because they were built knowing that if, it, if the school were not air conditioned, no one would be able to So function. this is not a story about how students in the South are doing less well than students in the North. No, it's not. Um, or at least maybe another way to say it is we can do a little bit of work to show that if not for school air conditioning in the South, the South might have even lower test scores than it does now relative to the North. Yeah. So the, the biggest problem seems to be in what? Border states uh, where you know, it's neither cold enough so that you don't need it and it's not yet you've got some days that are pretty hot. That's exactly right. So Alaska, it's not a problem that schools aren't air conditioned <laughs> there. Probably not a big deal that Maine is not air conditioned. It's when you get a little bit you know farther south. So states like New York and frankly even Massachusetts where uh, the beginning of the school year can have some very hot days as can the end of the school year but there aren't enough hot days in the middle always to justify the expense, or people have thought to justify the expense to air condition the schools. So, um, how, how, what's the response to your study? How, how are people, uh, are people in, 
amazed at your findings? Are so they, I would say yeah. two things. First of all, lots of people hate hot weather, and so they just generally have been excited to see rigorous evidence to justify their their opinions about how awful heat can be. The, the second remarkable thing is I don't think I've ever done a piece of research before that has caused uh, so many teachers to be in touch with me via email or Twitter uh, saying thank you for drawing attention to an issue that you know I and my colleagues have known about for years and you know and we've argued to the school district that that this might be an investment that's worthwhile but on hot days we really can't do anything with our students uh, so there's been a real outpouring of support for this from people on the ground well thank you Josh for sharing these uh, fascinating findings about air conditioning and heat and learning uh, uh, using a methodology that's really uh, very rigorous and quite compelling. Uh, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. My pleasure, Paul. This has been great. I've been speaking with Joshua Goodman of the Harvard Kennedy School. He's done a fascinating study of heat and air conditioning on student learning. Uh, this is Paul Peterson. Thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange.